Good morning. We're in a series listening to Jesus speak to his disciples on the Mount of Beatitudes. Picture from James Jacobson when he was over there, and they feel like it might be approximately where this conversation took place. We are listening in, and we're going to try to apply what Jesus says to spiritual influence and spiritual experience. And to do this, both JC and I will be plugging in. I'll begin to give us an in, just a, some kind of picture of what it means to be poor in spirit, and then I'll turn this towards what it means for spiritual influence. And JC will come up and talk about what it means for spiritual experience. Um, I had a roommate at the University of Pennsylvania. That's where I went to school. Graduated high school from a prep school in Connecticut. He was an athlete, and so when they had the yearbook, you could see his picture in the football team, and I think he played rugby as well. And so, but then if you look all through the the yearbook, you find his picture everywhere. He and his a friend of his crashed every picture they could. So you see them there in the football, and then they must have done the pictures at the same day, and so then it shows up with the chess club, and there they are kind of looking scholarly, and it's like, where's Waldo? You know, you know, you look in the thing, and you find Waldo, and he's hanging out in one of the, in the images somewhere, but they're all over the place. Um, we naturally want to be included in biblical pictures of the blessed. fact is that Jesus dramatically changes the image of the blessed, and there are people in the group pictures of the blessed that we wouldn't expect to find there. Um, Jesus is in the second year of his three-year public ministry. He's at the height of his popularity, and people are coming from as far as 100 miles away to be healed by him. And as uh, we hear the um, Matthew tells us about this healing uh, campaign by Jesus and this conversation that he has, uh, we're allowed to zoom in on the crowds. There are many ill with various diseases. They're suffering severe pain. And the way it seems is that we, we described it, wave upon wave of human suffering breaks in upon Jesus there. They've been told there's nothing more we can do. Just make them as comfortable as you can. But they are coming to Jesus and he is healing them. The way we describe it, all heaven is breaking loose. And as the crowds continue to surge toward him, Jesus puts the healings on hold, apparently. He takes his disciples and moves what they think to this place sits on the mountain with them, overlooking the, the Sea of Galilee. And he has a conversation, not with those who came to be healed, but those who identified and they, they went with Jesus to be part of his entourage. And, and so he gathers them, his followers, leads them to a hillside. They get to the spot, and Jesus stops, sits down, and begins to speak. And what Jesus does, he speaks about the characteristics of those to whom and through whom the power and truth of his kingdom is channeled. And they've seen that his kingdom is a power of truth, a kingdom of truth, and it is a kingdom of power. And what he goes on to describe, who are the people who experience this power and truth? And who are the people through whom uh, this power and truth are channeled? And they are not the individuals that we would have imagined. Um, says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God reveals himself to and through the poor in spirit. 
At that time, the word for blessed would be associated with health and wealth. Uh, not all that surprising. The Old Covenant of the Bible links the two. To be blessed by God is to be able to have those things visibly that are associated with blessing, land and big families and wealth. The Old Testament links the two. The, the New Covenant does not. So when we hear blessedness associated with health and wealth, and sometimes you hear that taught, the passages are always taken from the Old Testament of the Bible because that's where they're connected. Um, when Jesus links blessed with the poor then, at the time, these things don't fit together. He seems to be joining things that are mutually exclusive and the impact would have been jarring. He says blessed are the poor, those things don't go together. And so here's our question, who exactly are the poor in spirit? Over history, there's been three different ways people tried to put their arms around what this means. Uh, one view is that it, reflect, it refers to the disadvantaged, those forced to the fringes of society. They're not the movers and the shakers. That's one view. The second view, some is that it's those who willingly surrender their belongings as a sign of piety. They take a vow of poverty. Some feel that's what Jesus is talking about. Others feel like he's speaking not to economic disadvantage in particular, but just a hardship in general. Blessed are those who have tough lives. Which one does Jesus have in mind? I think maybe the first. I think maybe the first. He's speaking about the poor in spirit as being the disadvantaged, those who are on the fringes of society. They don't get the accolades. They're not noticed. They are kind of passed off. Why would I think this? Think about Jesus. He lived his life in the shadow of the cross. And what I mean by that, he understood that for all the things he experienced, even when large crowds are surging toward him, he knows the end of the story. And so he doesn't get that caught up in the adulation of the crowd because he knows it's fickle. He knows where this thing is heading, that both he and his disciples will experience momentary throngs of popularity. But before the dust clears, they will be isolated and alienated. They will have people withdraw from them. These crowds that are surging around them, applauding them, will start to point at them. And that's why I think Jesus, as he thinks about the poor in spirit, he's letting them know, don't plan on this forever. The people coming, wave upon wave of person being healed, shouts of joy, gasps of delight. This is a wonderful thing to be involved in. But what Jesus says, this is not going to last. And that's something Jesus had a melancholy streak about him. Even when he was going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they're going to explode into, they put palm branches and they acclaim him king, I think if we look carefully, what we would see, there's tear stains on his tunic. Because prior to going into the city, he knew where this was leading. And he sobbed over the city. And so as he's going in and they're applauding, he had just been sobbing. Um, in speaking about the poor, Jesus could have used two words. One word is describes an individual with limited means. They can't live off the property that, that he or she owns. They're forced into manual labor. One word for the poor, we could call blue-collar poverty. 
blue-collar poverty. There's another word for the poor, which means an individual with no means. They cannot survive on their own. They can't even get a job. They are forced to depend on the gifts of others. They are forced to beg to get what they need to live another day. This is a beggar's poverty. So the question becomes, which word does he use when he says the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who experience blue-collar poverty or blessed are those who experience a beggar's poverty. And the word he uses is a beggar's poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, beggarly poor. He paints an image of a beggar, a person who in accessing spiritual resources says, not I don't have much but I can get by, but an individual that says, I don't have anything and I can't get by. I need a gift, one who is forced to rely on the charity of somebody else. Um, there's another word for the poor in spirit that the Bible uses, and it's the word humble. Humble. Similar concept, poor in spirit, humble, and, and this is an image of humble. It's lowly. The, proud, the word for proud is up, and you're bearing when you're proud. You are proud to walk around. That's pride. It's up. Lowly is down, downtrodden, those who are looked down upon, those who feel excluded and in the fringe of things when the lists of the important people are being um, tossed around. Um, the humble are unable to use what they have to get what they want. Humility is seen as something where a person may be successful, but they're self-effacing. You know, if I call you a humble person, that's kind of a, well, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Humility in, the, in this culture at this time wasn't a good thing. If I called you humble, it's because, frankly, you have no ability to put foot on any of the rungs of the ladders of success. You have no material resources to be able to use to get what you want. You have no political resources to use to get what you want. You have no social resources. The fact is, you're stuck. You're going to live your life. You're never going to be part of the who's who of society at the time. You're not going to be part of the rich and famous. That's what the humble, that's what it means in that context to be humble. And what it indicates that God reveals himself through the poor in spirit, through the humble. Talk about that a little bit. Jesus radically transformed several concepts. And because of him, we can't see these concepts the same way. Two of them. One concept that Jesus revolutionized for us is the character of God. Again, prior to Jesus coming, within the prayers, the written prayers of Judaism, there's no recorded prayers in Judaism that address God as Father. And Jesus called God Abba, uh, which means Daddy. Jesus revolutionized the way we think about God, moving him from someone who's distant. And I'm not talking about Jesus now. I'm talking about God the Father. We have a tendency to have an easier time with Jesus. He's kind of more on our level, and we feel a little bit distant from the Father. Jesus had no sense of distance with the Father. He loved the Father. And you know what he tells us? If we see him and know him, we love him too. Because the Father and the Son cooperate together. They are the same. Jesus reveals God. He reflects what God is like. To see Jesus as being friendly and smiley and the Father as being austere and cranky doesn't work. Because Jesus is God and the Father is God and the Spirit is God and Jesus reflects what God is like. Um, 
Jesus helps us or transforms the nature of the character of God. He also transforms, I think, the character of spiritual influence. Look what it says in Matthew 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus says, it's in the worship folder, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think what Jesus is indicating here, forceful is out. As relates to spiritual influence, forceful is out. Again, listen to what it says from the, the days of John the Baptist until now. And so what he's saying is that the time of forceful spiritual leadership existed and was allowed to exist from John the Baptist, even before that in the prophets, until now. But what Jesus says, there's a line in the sand. Prior to this, it was forceful spiritual influence, but now spiritual influence changes. Um, if you consider John the Baptist, he was a forceful person. You know, he ate locusts. Definitely not quiche. He was beheaded for condemning a king. Um, with Jesus' arrival, the time of forceful spiritual influence changes. Look what it says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As it relates to spiritual influence, forceful is out. Gentle or humble is in. This is a word used to describe Moses. You know what it says about Moses? Arguably, the best representative of God in the Old Testament. Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. That's what it says in Numbers 12.3. He was noted for his humility. And Jesus, in the only self-description we have, where Jesus tells us about himself, you just read it. We just listened to it. What does he say? I am gentle and humble in heart. And those who represented God the best did so gently, did so humbly. Not an arrogant, proud spirit, but a humble spirit. Why humble, poor, and spirit representatives? I think it kind of comes back to what God looks at. When God judges us, he judges motives. And we talk about thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Thoughts and attitudes are beliefs we have about God and attitudes we have about God because of our beliefs, which lead to action. Thoughts, attitudes, actions. Thoughts, attitudes, actions. Which of those three responds to force? Thoughts, attitudes, actions. Can you force somebody to change what they do? to change what they do, how they act. I think you can. You can force somebody to change how they act. Can you force them to, to change why they act? Can you force them to change their belief? No, you can't. You know what God looks at when he evaluates us? He doesn't look at our actions. 
He looks at our attitudes. He looks at our thoughts. Do you know why God puts gentle spiritual influence in place? Because gentle spiritual influence is the only thing that can change the thing that he is going to look at, which are your thoughts, my thoughts, your attitude, my attitude. You can't frighten somebody into loving. You can't force somebody into loving. What do you do to promote love? You gentle people in. It's not something that can be pushed. It's something that's offered. You can't force it. That's why spiritual influence goes from forceful to gentle. What the Old Covenant does, it tells us about what faith is. I think it tells us about what faith is. The Old Covenant is very important. It gives us an image of what it means to have faith. I think the Old Covenant answers the question, what? What does faith look like? You know what what question the New Covenant addresses? The New Testament? How? How? How are you going to become a person who is able to wait perseveringly for the right reasons, with the right attitude and the right thoughts? You're not going to be able to be forced into it. That's why the New Testament focuses on how the change takes place through gentle spiritual leadership. How can you tell whether spiritual influence is forceful or gentle? Um, In Jesus' day, and I described that Jesus did two things. He talked about the character of God and the character of spiritual influence, but these are really pretty connected. The individuals whom Jesus had the most difficult time with when we did the series God Talk, this was kind of our image for that, he called the Pharisees at the time blind. And they were blind in, in really because they couldn't see God clearly. And because they couldn't see God clearly, their spiritual influence was characterized by, and we gave it kind of an acronym, FOG. Remember what FOG is? FOG is fear and obligation and guilt. How can you tell if it's forceful spiritual influence? You can't tell it really because of a smile or a frown. Because forcefulness can be smiley. Of course you want to do this. Am I being gentle? No, not necessarily. How can you tell forceful spiritual influence? Forceful spiritual influence uses fear. Uses obligation. Uses guilt, goads, and prods. And these things can change actions, but they can't change thoughts and they can't change attitudes. All of us have a way to go, but when you are trying to figure out what spiritual influence was like and to what degree is it in line with or not in line with, you can look at these things to determine to what degree um, the individual is leading forcefully. You know what the sense seems to be? You know why that occurs? And JC, come on up. Why... Why we use fear, obligation, and guilt? To the degree we are unclear about God and his character, we tend to use fear, obligation, and guilt. So not seeing this way means forcefulness this way. That's the God leads through those who are the poor in spirit. JC, talk to us about who God, uh, 
how he reveals himself, who he reveals himself to, and what that means. Start by telling you a story. She she was standing on the outside. Oh yeah, I gotta. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try this, Jonathan. Right here, okay. I'm put my hand right here so I don't move. Last time I got in trouble for only my feet showing up on video. Okay. She stands at the bus stop with her kids, talking to another mom. And their conversation leads to the care and consideration for kids. And with with very sympathetic and burdened brown eyes, she says to the other mom, that the help she attempted to get at a parenting class, she's not going anymore. The mom who's listening is shocked. She wonders and asks, what happened? How come? And the other mom with the brown, somber eyes responds back, I went there to try to get help for my kids and how to raise my kids. And the guy gave me so much that I had to do and told us so much of how we were doing it wrong, I can't go back. And the other mom replied, that's too, that's horrible, it's too bad, it's horrible. And I wouldn't blame you for not going back. Who are the people that God's talking to in this sermon? Um, I do a seminar called Parents Who Put Grace in Place. And I say, I love this because the Academy Award goes to the guy upstage with the holy pants. See, I thought I wore these pants. Like, what are you doing with them holy pants on? I wore these <laughs> pants on purpose. The Academy Award goes to the poor in spirit. The academy goes to the poor in spirit. And what Mike says, I want to amplify. In my neighborhood, um, we, there was a hierarchy among the poor in spirit. <laughs> so there was bummy, and then there was bummy, and then there was bummy. Okay? And, and, and when you're in that situation, if you have a pair of shoes, you think you're better than the other dude who don't have shoes. That's what we're comparing it to. What, what he's describing is not race-based. It's not gender-based. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those of us who have empty pockets. The image, I thought, porn spirit, the first time Mike preached this, I'm like, he's going to teach us how to be Mother Teresa. I know he is, man. He's going to teach us how to be Mother Teresa. And then he said something I'll never forget. The porn spirit are the people who are at the end of their rope with no resources. Am I looking at anybody from poor, who are poor in the spirit? I thought, now that is easy to get under. Jesus is talking to poor in spirit, to the people who are at the end of their rope with no influence, no capacity to turn it around on their own. And he says, that's a blessed condition. a blessed condition 
He says it a little differently. In Romans, it says a little differently. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation, the Owen fog. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of a man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed, blessed are those, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now, here's what I want you to think about. To whom is he talking? Now, yes, I did do a napkin drawing, but you don't have it. But I got it. Because that's the way I think. But if you want to think about to whom, first of all, I want you to circle in verse five. If you have a pen, just because I'm not, I'm a, I'm my, Mike said 10 minutes, Jay, 10 minutes. So that's what I'm doing. Circle in verse five, because I like in some translations, they say it says God who justifies the ungodly. OK, not a, that's not the word there. The word is wicked. Interesting enough, that notion of having wickedness justified has three ideas to it. It has the idea of forgiveness, which he says down there, has the idea of covering, which he says down there, and then the third idea, the idea of of, of not counted or not weighing in. It doesn't weigh ever again. Now, forgiven, the image is to have your sins sent away. So he's talking to people who are saying, hey, man, you, you got something for me, but I'm a mess. And God says, it isn't just like Joel said this morning. What was that phrase you gave me? Just as if you've never, just as if you've never sinned. It's not that. Because God doesn't like pretend like, hey, you go. Gary, you didn't sin, though. We, it's gone. He didn't do that. He sees it. But he doesn't see that. He doesn't see through that anymore. That image of Gary is sent away. Sent away. That image of Tammy is sent away. Never comes back. That's personal. The second idea I want you to get because it's corporate. Covered. This idea of covering. The image I get is in the Old Testament when Passover comes. There are certain people that had blood on their on their door jam, and if you were in, it's corporate. It's a status. You can. I like what John Tracy was saying. You could have. We go from single to married. We go from uh, outside the faith to child. It's a status that no one can take away. Now, some of us know what it's like to be a bad kid. Some of us know what it's like to try to be a good kid. Neither of them merit anything. They don't change your status. Good kid, bad kid, neutral kid, dark kid, white kid, far kid, 
Close kid, doesn't matter. Your status now is a child of God. And you and your behavior does not change that. Does not change that. You're in. And it's corporate. You become part of a larger picture. That's who he's talking to. He's saying, you guys, because the poor in spirit are often people who are, who when you don't have any means and no influence, you're also on the outside. You're on the outside. And God says, you're covered, dude. You're in. You're one of mine now. I stamped your forehead. Jesus. And your behavior does not disqualify the stamp. Can you hear that? Your behavior does not disqualify. Now, you say, well, that's my behavior. But what about Mike just said beliefs and attitudes. He sees those too. And his intention is to change them. Your dark thinking, because some of you say, well, I don't do nothing like you don't see. But how I think. God says, when you're covered, the the stamp goes all the way to your soul. And all of that's in. And God's promise then is, because I don't have influence. Who, 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 Paul says, who can save this body of death? Who can do it on their own? And then he doesn't say, thank God I will never sin again. That's not what he says. He says, thank God there's no condemnation because I'm a goofball. I'm covered. The stamp. If I go somewhere and they say Jesus or no, I'm gonna show them the stamp, dude. I'm in. I saw you, dude, last night. Dude, this is what matters. I'm in. We forget that. And then this this last one, I think it's big. Not credited. I want you to think about a bank account overdraft. I want you to think about not paying your bills and the collectors after you. And you got no credit. As a matter of fact, your credit stinks. And God says, all that stuff. I want you to think about a, a, a criminal record that follows you to the job interview. And the guy says, have you ever done a felony? And you have to say, shoot, I was trying to decide. I was trying not to get around that question. Because as soon as you check yes on that box, it's credited against you. And and Paul writes in there, your past, your present, and your future will not be credited against you. It can only be that way. I can't forgive sin and then be mad when I sin tomorrow. That that God's schizophrenic at that point. Something's wrong with him. He can't say it two ways. He's saying it's credited. Your sins will not be credited against you then, now, or in the future. Those are the people he's talking to. So blessed are the poor, the people with lint in their pockets. Got nothing. Holes in their pants. Holes in their soul. And they, and they have come to a place where they're saying, geez, man, I know, I know it. Because the people who don't know, they're not poor in spirit. 
That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love them. It has nothing to do with that. But the Holy Spirit comes. See, interesting thing. Somebody said to me, how come hope ain't big? I said, dude, we, we, people come here and they fall apart at first. We're not preaching, hey, everything's good. We, we say things like uh, uh, believing in Christ so presumes tension. <laughs> so some people are like, dude, really? I'm out, man. Tension? Nah, man. That's supposed to, believing in Christ means every day you wrestle with sin. Nope, got to go, got to go, I'm out. That's what we say here. But that's the, the people who are poor in spirit. And guess what they get to experience? When I don't have anything, the things that happen in my life are kingdom stuff. I know exactly where and who and what that's about. When I was little, Every Thanksgiving from when I was eighth grade all the way through my high school year, every Thanksgiving, I'd get up, open the front door, look down, there'd be a basket. My grandma said, go get the basket. We didn't have, some of y'all would buy the steak and the turkey for Thanksgiving. We, we was doing cream-style corn or grits or oatmeal, except for there was a God and he reflected himself in the person of a guy named Father Brady. And Father Brady, and, and I asked Father Brady, are you leaving them baskets on, thank, on uh, Thanksgiving? He looked at me and said, what basket, though? What you talking about? I'm like, you lying to me and you're a priest, man. You can't do that. <laughs> but every Thanksgiving, I would go out there because I like, I like cranberry, cranberry, cranberry sauce in the can. Now, I know that's poison. Some of y'all who health me. Y'all think I'm crazy. I love that stuff. I'll eat the whole can. <laughs> okay? But we have cranberry sauce in the can, corn, uh, dressing with brown gravy, not white, <laughs> and a big old fat turkey, right? Every Thanksgiving. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I didn't feel blessed when I opened the door. I was embarrassed. I'm like, I hope nobody saw this basket, man. They, they, I don't want nobody to know we have to, somebody have to give us our thanksgiving. Now, I understand it differently now. I understand it differently now. Poor in spirit. That's to whom he was talking. That's to whom he says is blessed. And that's to whom he says kingdom stuff happens in your life. You will inherit the kingdom. The things that happened on Thanksgiving, I couldn't blame nobody but the Father for that. The things that are happening in your lives. There are things happening in your life now because you're here that you cannot blame on anybody but the Father. Kingdom stuff's happening. Poor in spirit. Joel and Tracy, come on up. Um, Jesus tells a story. Actually, not a story. He, he did a, an event that gives us kind of a picture. When he cleansed the temple, what it says, and I think it's, I forget which account it is, but when Jesus turned over the tables and all those kind of things, there were individuals who were in the temple, but they were kind of toward the ends because the, 
most of the area of the temple was being used for those who felt that they had a place there. You know, so they were either selling something that people would use to worship on the inside, and, and this courtyard was all full. And what Jesus did, he comes, and then he overturns the tables. And what one of the accounts says, after that happens, what happens? And, and what it indicates is individuals that were on the periphery. They were the ones in the fringes. They didn't have access to the inside. They started to shuffle in towards the middle because Jesus made a place for them. A place for them. They never had a place. It was crowded out by all kinds of other things, and so they were able to move into that place. And it says that Jesus healed them. I think what it indicates, uh, Jesus made a place for you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, made a place for you. Um, indicates that those who come to that place needing things from him that only he can give are the blessed. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for your character, for the fact that your son reveals you to us. Not only that, but the character of spiritual influence as well that you reach through and to the poor in spirit. I'd ask that we would continue to learn about that and believe it, that we could find a security and a comfort as we are to come to you because it is that connection with you that allows us to become the people that you want us to be, like Jesus, gentle, humble in heart. Um, continue to help us to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen.